Welcome to the Breaking into Startups podcast, where we interview people who came from non-traditional backgrounds and who found jobs in tech. This episode, we're chatting with Megan Schofield, who works as a UX designer at a startup in SF. Her journey in tech did not start out easy. She worked for over 10 years creating museum exhibits and eventually moved out to Washington, D.C. to find a new job. However, after sending out dozens of applications for design jobs in tech, she got no interviews. In our chat, Megan shares actionable tips on how to craft your resume to make it stand out, how to tell your story, and what led her to land her first job in tech. Check it out. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking the Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, so today we're actually recording this episode out of Hack Reactor. Hack Reactor is based pretty much in the heart of San Francisco. It's on 6th and Market. And uh, as you go up the staircase, you'll see a lot of students on their laptops uh, studying for exams, doing coding problems. Uh, and uh, we just broke into one of the back conference rooms on the seventh floor. And uh, we're about to talk to a very special guest about her journey on uh, breaking into startups. Arthur, can you please introduce our guest? Thanks, Timor. Yeah, today we have an amazing guest, Megan Schofield. She has a super interesting story of starting to work in museum exhibit design. She also designed a bunch of exhibits at zoos, aquariums, science centers around the country. She then worked as project manager for several traditional media companies and then made her way into tech. And now she works for a super cool infrastructure startup called CoreOS as a UX and product designer. And uh, today she's going to tell us a little bit about her journey. Megan, before we begin, can you take us all the way back and tell us where you got your start and um, kind of what were you up to before you got into exhibit, museum exhibit design? Sure, sure, I can do that. I'm actually, I like to make jokes that I dropped out of art school, which is true. I went to school to be an illustrator for a year. I did that and realized that that kind of wasn't the best for my future career moves, although I enjoyed my time drawing and painting for that whole year. And then I switched over to graphic design. So I started illustration. I've always been, somebody's been into art and drawing, but I wanted to make sure, you know, I could get a career going and have a job and whatnot. So yeah, then I uh, switched from art school to a traditional four-year college and have a degree in visual communication design. Got it. So so how did, did you get interested in art and drawing in the first place? Tell us a little bit about your family and kind of like the environment that you grew up in. Oh, that's a really good question. <laughs> my family, I'm very different than my family. They always tease me because I was always drawing and doodling on my spelling test papers and all of that good stuff. I don't recall the aha moment of when I decided to become artsy. I don't, I just think it was always kind of in there. Young and cultured. Yeah, I guess. But I don't know. I think it kind of appealed to me also to be a little bit different than my family. Yeah. Some different perspective. Yeah. So how, how was your high school experience? So I, I know you were doodling on your tests and things like that. So did you ever, you know, do any exhibits while you were in high school as well? <laughs> No, museum design was kind of an accidental thing that I fell into. Gosh, high school, I took every art class that I could. I took summer classes at the art college that was in my hometown. And yeah, I just kind of did it, sort of my identity. 
What was your medium always pencils and paper? It was actually almost always pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. I really liked to find random pieces of cardboard to draw in. And ink was a big deal for me when I was young. Got it. And so what led you to make the transition into actually doing this with like graphics and in museums and things like that? That's kind of interesting. I went to this little art school and I'd gotten a scholarship and it was its own deal. They discontinued the major I had gone for. I was like, wait, 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 what do you mean? And I'm like, young, young Megan, right? Like just I'm living in a new town for the first time. And they were like, yeah, we don't offer that sort of illustration degree anymore, but we do offer this thing called graphic design. It's totally the same thing. And I was just like super naive and young. I'm like, okay, sure. Put that down, whatever. And then when I realized the art college wasn't really for me, I switched. I had to, I had to go back home and I moved back in with my mom and shout out to mom. Yeah. Mom. And I ended up going to the college in my hometown, which is a gigantic school. And I had decided before I left high school, I'm like, I'm not going to go to this college. I can't go to my hometown college. It's just ridiculous. But it turns out they have a fantastic program for graphic design. They only let in 17 people a year. It was this huge deal. And I like somehow got my heart set on it from like not even knowing what it was in art school and switching over. I remember walking up to see if my number got called for the the crazy test. They put a little piece of paper on the wall with all your, your social security numbers on it or the last four. And I walked up there like hyperventilating, <laughs> like, did I get in? And I did get in. Awesome. And it was great. Yeah. And so I guess my transition started out kind of accidental. And then I got really into design. So I'm much more of a logical human being. Like I love art and all of that, but being more logical, that worked really well with the design world. Got it. Got it. So how did you make the transition into interactive exhibit design at museums? Because that's not directly related to yeah. graphic design, right? Yeah, it is. It is in a lot of ways. So when I was a junior finishing, getting close to finishing my degree, I decided that I wanted to work. I wanted to see what it was like to be in a firm. Like, is this thing that I've been spending the last four years of my life on worth it? So I started looking for jobs. My college, like the college advisor wasn't really happy with me because they didn't want young, you know, youngins out there in the world making a bad name for the school. But I was, I started applying for jobs anyway. And she actually ran into an alumni who was like, we need somebody to work for, this is at the local science center. Like we need a, a young designer to like, just help us out. And she thought of me because I'd been pestering her. So she put me in touch with them and I went through the whole interview process. I was so nervous and they offered me the job eventually. And they hired me as as just a graphic designer to help out. I remember in my interview being like, listen, I just want to be around this process. I will sweep the floor. I will go get coffee. You know, I will do these things. And I learned many years later because I worked with those people for many, many years that that impressed them that I was so like excited. And they, they liked my work. So that's good, too. I mean, it says a lot about your hustle, you know, that, down to do whatever. Yeah. You're one of 17. You know, it <laughs> sounds like you've been doing a lot. You're pursuing what you're passionate yeah. about. And tell us about the how long you did the museum interactive design, design. experience and yeah. how that was for you and what some of the things that you learned while you were there. Oh, man. So it was interesting because I started there when I was really young. I did museum. I worked at that museum design agency for almost 13 years. And then for a couple of years later, I did, I continued to work in the field. So overall, it was about 15 years. Wow. Yeah. I started as a really young designer helping with temp, like marketing templates. And I wrote a lot of marketing copy back in those days, but they needed help every once in a while, like with a really big deadline. And they'd ask me to put together like models of some exhibitry. I had a really great mentor at one point. He asked me to design a entry arch for a children's zoo in Philadelphia. Well, it's the Philadelphia Zoo, but the children's zoo within it. I was like, dude, I don't, I don't know how to make physical structures. I went to school for flat graphic things, which I love and are amazing. 
And he was like, no, you're going to have a great perspective on this because you don't, ha- you actually don't have the constraints other people do. So the transition kind of was slowly helping out the team who was really overstretched, but they also felt like I'd bring a fresh perspective to it because I didn't actually understand physics at that point, which I learned a lot through that particular project. But yeah, so I learned a lot in that case. So what are some of the things you do day to day being an interactive exhibit designer? Mm-hmm. I would imagine you're probably kind of thinking about kind of ways to present this exhibit. If you're working for a science center, like I've been to the Exploratorium a few mm-hmm. times, you would kind of work with maybe the scientist or someone yeah. who actually has the knowledge to come up with a cool, I don't know, playful way to engage with the, is that kind of what you, the thought process you had to go through? Or? Yeah. Yeah. We did everything from the flow of the exhibit. What does the sign look like? Which I often designed. How do people walk into the space? What's the carpet? I design murals all the time. But also, what is the content? We'd have museums come to us and be like, oh, we just we need to do an exhibit on health. Can you help us make that interesting and playful? And so I would work helping design the content and also how do people touch and interact with this thing? With my particular company, I did a lot of work in children's museums when we did this thing called low-tech, high-touch so that kids could be engaged and learn. And we helped museums understand different ways to present their science topics so that kids could interact with them. Nice. So it sounds like before even doing UX design or UI design, and we'll jump more into it mm-hmm. later in the interview, sure. it sounds like there were a lot of things that you were doing um, already that kind of was laying the foundation for what was to come next. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I spent all of my time thinking about how is, and you know, we use the term user in tech, but yeah. how will guests, how will people interact with this thing? And I think people are users. They are. Or users are people. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think all uh, design professions, you have to always create something with the user in mind? Or was it just that specific um, field Field? that kind of exposed you to some of the similarities that you might see a user experience designer think about? I think the fundamental difference between being an artist and a designer is that you're solving a problem. Mm -hmm. Art is great. I love art. But designers are have parameters, they have goals, they have rules, and there's always a consumer on one side of Mm -hmm. it. And sometimes, you know, most of the time it's people. There's people that design for animals, I'm sure, and things like that. But yeah, I think design is with a consumer on the other side of it, whatever that may be. And you're solving a problem. You're not making something beautiful for beauty's sake. So I would imagine most people in design fields feel like that there is that element there. I see. I see. So did you feel like you had a hunger to solve problems after 15 years? Yeah, always. One of the things I learned as a young designer, and one of the things I'm still incredibly passionate about is that creative problem solving is just really interesting. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, we're doing this for 15 years in in Ohio primarily, Mm -hmm. and you had this yearning desire to do something else. So tell us about, you know, you went to DC and how Mm -hmm. that was and how your search to do more and to find that, to what that, that creative appetite, how that, how, how did that, that go? Yeah. So yeah, I was trying to continue my career in DC and for reasons I wasn't able to really stay within the museum field. It's very, it's very small. There's not a lot going on. There's not a lot of companies doing it is what I should say. Your options are limited options or there's just limited. not a lot of people doing it? I would say there's not a lot of people doing it. And I had a really wide breadth of skills, which I think confused people. So I did uh, project management, product management, I'm client leading, I worked on budgets, I did pitching, and then I was also on the install, installing exhibits that I helped design. And so I would present people with that and they would just be a little bit confused. So when I moved to DC, I was trying to find a job and I was having trouble finding firms that I felt were of the caliber that I wanted to work for, partially. 
So that narrowed it down. But I really just wanted to, for me personally, it's really important to make stuff that has a positive impact in people's lives. I had a bunch of friends at the time when I moved to DC who all worked for a tech startup and they would talk about their jobs all the time. I was the only non-tech person. And so they talked about their jobs all the time. And every once in a while, I'd get in my own little museum story. And they would say, man, that really sounds like what designers do in our field. And I think you might be interested in that. A really good friend of mine is a great and amazing front-end developer and UX designer. And she and I would just like get into these really in-depth conversations about how to help people use software. In her case, she was designing internal tools for this company. And I just found it like it's an interesting problem to solve. And I was having so much trouble finding a job in museums. I just kind of started to see that there could be this other possibility over here that was just satisfying, even if it was in a different form factor. It wasn't a space that you walked into where there were walls and carpet. It was a thing you interacted with to hopefully, you know, in their case, and what I try to do today is like make somebody's life better. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that job search. So including the struggle to find a job as a museum designer, interactive designer, but also the job search to get into tech. Get into tech. And this was in DC, right? Yeah. I started applying for jobs, tech jobs when I was in DC. And at that point, I wasn't sure if I want, I've always considered myself a designer, even if I wasn't working as a designer. That's like just my, my core-ness. But I really enjoy product management and project management. So I actually applied for a bunch of jobs on both sides. And I would, I wrote a couple of hybrid cover letters or like, look, I have both of these skills. I don't really only want to do one, but if your company, one of my skill sets resonates with the need, I would do that one for a while just to be around what's going on. And I did, and I got very little response. And again, I think maybe it was just that I was maybe not focused enough for people or something, but I applied probably in DC, probably like a hundred different companies, not all in tech, but I would apply for museum jobs, like at actual museums, museum consultancies, agency, like advertising agencies. I ended up doing some work for a trade show company and then all the time trying to apply to other tech, usually larger tech companies, because at that point they're, they have a product team and things like that. Yeah. And I know it's been a few years since you went through that particular job search, but when um, you were being interviewed, let's say at a tech startup, Mm -hmm. what, what sort of skills were they looking for? And did you feel like, you had them or you were able to demonstrate that you would be a good fit on their team? Like, can you just walk us through that? that? Yeah. I actually did not end up having any job interviews at 10 companies until I moved to San Francisco. Okay, I had just started teaching myself HTML and CSS. Mm -hmm. And I I still, as trying to make the transition, wasn't sure that I fit. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I moved here. And I actually started taking like a couple classes. Like I did a UX intro course, just one night thing at General Assembly. Mm -hmm. And I happened to know the teacher through friends of friends. And afterward, she was like, I know your background. Like you are already a UX designer. You just haven't made the right connections of how to talk about it just yet. And so she and I talked about that for a little bit. But yeah, I didn't interview until I got here. And what what were you using to teach yourself HTML and CSS? There's this really great book called HTML and (laughs) CSS. It's got a black cover and I forget who the author is. I tried like all these online things in Treehouse or whatever. But yeah, sitting down with that book made a huge difference for me. Yeah, it's kind of like pencil and paper, old school, right? Yeah, was it like a project school. base where you built something from scratch? Or what was the methodology that the book applied? It was, it's really high level. It goes back to like, this is how the internet works. And this is why we do okay. things this way. And it was through partially through that book that I realized how I learn well. I learn well through doing things. So I've also was doing my own hello world mm-hmm. in the browser and like trying sublime text and coda and when Adam came out, it was really exciting and all of that. But yeah, I, I needed that overview. 
that big picture. And this book starts really big picture and then drills down and it's beautifully designed as well. So Awesome. So you get to San Francisco, you start kind of looking around, networking, yeah. probably General Assembly is like a great course for designers, right? Yeah. And you start making connections. Mm-hmm. So what was your next move to actually start kind of getting those interviews? Those interviews. So again, I did this thing. I guess I don't give up easy. I just started sending my resume and applying online to any place that seemed interesting or whatever. Again, very little response whatsoever. I did get one random, I, I shouldn't call it random. I did get a, an interview and I think it was just through a website thing or something, you know, like a job board. And they asked me to do a whiteboard creative solving problem, which I'd never done before. We didn't use whiteboards really in my past life, but like I draw, so it wasn't like intimidated by it, but it was a ma- like a math-based product that they were doing. And they were asking me questions and we were trying to like figure it out and like, infographics or that big buzzword. And they were like basically asking me to design an infographic in front of them on the whiteboard without any knowledge of their field, which is like really difficult. And it's like, I would spend at least eight hours researching this before I could even come up with like a wireframe. But they wanted, you know, on the spot, like they wanted me to create a problem solve right in front of them. And I didn't do too bad. They told me I did okay on that portion, but they wanted somebody who was more technical. So they didn't hire me. And I was really crushed because I was like really into it. And then this they're actually right up the street, I think, where, the, where I interviewed. And I was like, oh, it just felt like a good vibe. And they like played board games at lunch. And I was like, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. But they, and they especially didn't like, like one response out of like yeah, many. Hun- you know? Like hundreds of, seriously, my, my resume folder is ridiculous. It's You're like, like, I'm this close. It's like 300 resumes. Did yeah. you draw anything when you were down or depressed? Do I draw anything like when, when, when you got rejected? How did you like deal with that frustration? You know, I'm really lucky to have a lot of friends in tech and I would just talk about it with them sometimes over cocktails and <laughs> just like talk about the process. And I know a lot of engineers like applying for jobs is, is really tricky in this field. It's like you get really put through the gauntlet at some places. Yeah. So they were like, yeah, now, you've, now you know. Now yeah. you know how tough this is. You get up in front of like five people and have to whiteboard. It's like you got to think on your feet. And as a designer, I've been thinking on my feet, creative problem solving and talking to clients for years. So it's like that part doesn't scare me. It's the not understanding their problem yeah. when you walk in the door. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of cocktails and alcohol and things like that, there was a campfire uh, outdoor outing that oh, right. kind of led to yeah. something else. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I did. I went my very first backpacking trip. I'm now a huge backpacker. But moving here, all my friends were all talking about this thing that was really foreign and interesting to me. And so I went backpacking on Angel Island Nice with a group of people. I knew one other person in this group. And yeah, we campfires and whatever. And the first night we were there, I think there was, I don't know what I was drinking. It was a cocktail of some sort. And I got really excitable about a particular typeface. And I just kind of went on and on about typeface, about this particular typeface I was really excited about. And I can't remember why. but Everybody around me was kind of like looking at me like, okay, that girl, her and her typefaces or whatever. And it was a very lovely weekend and we went hiking and we camped and it was great. And then Sunday, somebody who had been in the group that I didn't know very well and I'd only met that night contacted the person that we knew in common and said, hey, my company is hiring a designer and your friend was going on and on about typefaces. I think she might like, I don't know, I think she might fit. I liked her as a person, but like she's clearly passionate about this thing. So that friend put us in contact. On Monday, I mean, she, she messaged me like, do you mind if I give this person your phone number or whatever? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And on Monday, he calls me. I think Wednesday, we set up a time to meet. I went in and I said, look, I don't know what your problem is. 
it was an ad tech startup. I'm like, I, I don't know anything about ad tech, but I can tell you that I love design and I love solving problems and tell me what your problem is. And so we went through it and I hit it off really well with the only other designer they had on staff. And within 10 minutes of me leaving the interview, they called me with an offer. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So after no, hundreds of resumes. So no whiteboarding. No white. No, we did not whiteboard. Very cool. We did not whiteboard in that Very one. Very cool. Nice. So that was your first break into tech, right? That, yeah. I think that I would say that's my first serious interview at a tech startup. Yeah. And you crushed it. <laughs> well, I, I think I did pretty well. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the first few months on the job. Like, how did you learn that specific skill set that mm-hmm. the job required? And then um, what else did you do to level up to mm-hmm. to the position that you got? So the other designer that was on staff, he and I get a, still to this day have a lot in common on the philosophical side of mm-hmm. design. And so what I learned in those first few months is that like, my skill set was there. I just needed the lingo. All of the, the terminology we use in tech isn't necessarily easy to grasp or like doesn't other or other areas don't use it in the same way, which is I've noticed when I've moved around from different industries, everybody has different words for things. So the other designer really helped me kind of understand the lingo. And we, I remember with like Sketch came out, for example, a couple of years ago, right? And he and I were like having this conversation about what tools we wanted to use. Because before when he was one, it didn't matter. He could do whatever he wanted. So we just started working together and kind of researching the world about, well, should we use Sketch? Should we use this? Should we use that? So the first couple of months were us kind of like level setting of how we were going to work together and him helping me understand terminology and I was thrown right into projects and working with engineers. A lot of my interview with that particular company was about, can you communicate with engineers? Can you have a conversation? Can you do the right kind of stuff to get your point across? So what things did you need to know to be able to communicate with engineers? Well, I've worked with engineers a really long time. Uh, When I was in museum design, I led a team of engineers to build the exhibitory, like the stuff underneath the hood. So I understood what they were getting at when they were trying to you know, like it is not always easy to communicate these really complex ideas. So I think the answer they were looking for and the thing that I think is valuable and hopefully my team agrees is if you can't communicate it via words and you draw something, you know, wireframes or straight up high fidelity mocks. And then you get into the idea back with that first job, I did a lot of prototyping. So using in, is it Envision and stuff like that. I wasn't doing HTML kind of prototyping and whatnot, but it's just about being able to communicate a really complex idea to people who are not necessarily visual. Yeah. So this was your first uh, job in tech. Did you um, find any misconceptions of um, your view of the tech before you joined in? Or uh, did any of the things that people talk about tech, like a bunch of white guys sitting behind desks, was that true? Or how was your experience? Is that what you expected? I would say it is what I expected. I was well prepped. I was well prepped. I knew a a lot of people in tech and I knew a lot of women who were in tech. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of ready for that. And I I was, I remember my first day on the job and I didn't even think to ask this in my interview. I walked in and there were no other women in the office Mm -hmm. and I had a, I had a panic moment. I've actually worked with all male teams a lot in my career in museum design. I think I was the first woman they hired. So it's not, I'm not, not used to that. But I was like, oh, shoot, I didn't even think to ask. There were more women there, but only like two. Mm-hmm. So I was ready for what I encountered in that way. Yeah. 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 So as is there anything that you didn't expect? So a lot of times, you know, you come in, you're prepared for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. But then when you actually start doing it, you yeah. know, being a doer, 
there's a lot of things that you could come up with in theory, but there's yeah roadblocks and curveballs. I would say there's, I have two answers to that question. I remember designing. So when I was a museum designer and I became a project and a product manager, I would make the most beautiful Excel spreadsheets because designing information so that people can consume it well, just in my bones or something. So when I got to this job at iSocket, I made some wireframes and they were great. They looked really good, but they confused the heck out of people because they thought they were high fidelity. They thought that that's what I intended for the final product. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is just grays. Like this is not the real thing. This is totally just a wireframe, but it was too pretty. So I remember starting this process and talking about this with the other designer. I started making the lines rough. I started actually drawing wiggly lines. And then I had to make the color palette worse. I like kept making them worse and worse and worse. And when I left, I was actually back to hand sketching wireframes. I had a bunch of markers. I had a bunch of trace paper and I would be outlining everything in hand. So it was absolutely 100% clear that this was not intended for the brand color palette. And it really made a difference with that particular team. And I would scan them in or take pictures with my phone and like make hotspots and do like all the prototyping, but it made a huge difference in communication with them. Got it. And so looking back with like the way you were trained before Mm -hmm. to like make it pretty yeah, and then how you flexed on them and they didn't like that (laughs) and they wanted to be back to kind of like back to basics. Yeah. Do you like your new process? Do I like the new process? I love anytime I can draw things on paper. So that just feels great. Well, does it feel weird to like forcefully draw rough lines and wiggly lines? It was weird to do it digitally. I, I won't lie. My background being in illustration, I've done a ton of digital illustration. I was like, I got this. I can do this. What was interesting to me was how far back I had to go. And nobody knew how to say to me, the you know, nobody on the engineering side was telling me, no, 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 make it rougher. I was just doing that as my own process. And I like as a designer, one thing that has been true throughout my whole career is that I'm a communicator on all levels. I have to communicate. I have to figure out how I can communicate to even solve a problem. And this is one of those moments where I was like, "This, I'm good at this. And I just kept going back and nice. lower and lower. And I guess the kind of to take a step back, the issue here was that your mock-ups were so good that they almost resembled the final yeah. version. Yes. And a lot of the engineers, when they saw it, they basically assumed that since it was so high fidelity, like mm-hmm. since it was really well thought out and made then this must be like the final version so i'm gonna go ahead and start building it but yeah in reality this is just like your first draft mm-hmm. your first pass yeah and That's very it also might go back to like you writing a lot of copy and mm-hmm. understanding communication and what they interviewed for so it mm-hmm. sounds like you were firing on all cylinders <laughs> yeah i like to think that <laughs> <laughs> and so that this was your first job at iSocket. yeah and so how did you get to where you are now where i am now so iSocket got acquired by another company, and that was a very interesting and eye-opening experience that sort of, I had joined a little bit later, so I was really just like, you know, an employee. And they, we got purchased or whatever, and it kind of felt like I was like a desk. It was just like, now you work here. Like, there, I mean, they had to, they offered me a job, and I said yes, because if I had said no, I wouldn't have had a job in, the next day. Like, there really wasn't a lot of time to process, and it was like, well, let's just jump in. What? doesn't matter. But it was really interesting. Like I didn't choose that company and they were doing very different things. And then like how our product started to change with all these other people involved. It was really difficult. The new company had not a great understanding of what the design skill set can bring to the table. So I stuck it out for about six months and I was having a, having a conversation with some of my friends, all of whom were working in tech at the time, about the struggles I was running into and what was going on. 
And my friend was like, hey, I, I just started this other little tech startup and everybody there is really great. The CEO is fantastic person and we're hiring a designer. Would you be interested? It was one of those moments like, I mean, why not? Like, I will talk to you. And I said, no, pre- you know, no pressure. I'll just send you my resume and my portfolio and pass it to your recruiter. And so, you know, a couple of days later, the recruiter calls me or actually he sent me an email and we had a little bit of an email exchange. I went in for an interview later that week and their interview process was much more intense than I saw it. It was um, a three hour interview, three different panels, three different people, each panel. My interview ran over to four and a half hours, but they also offered me a job. I think later that day, I got a call from their recruiter and they wanted to hire me. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, now you've been on the job for several years, a little bit more about that interview process, mm-hmm. kind of like what, like you've, you've been interviewed mm-hmm. in different spaces and yeah. industries in design. Mm-hmm. You have interviewed people yeah. for positions in design. Mm-hmm. And I think the listeners would, would appreciate sure. how a design interview actually looks like. Oh, at a tech startup, at a tech startup. Oh, you have to have some work to talk about. This is kind of a controversial point among some of my design friends, but it's one of the few ways as a designer, you can see their skills and see where their taste level is. So if I am fresh out of school, yeah, I can draw some pictures mm-hmm. or maybe graphic design them, figure out a book or something and mm-hmm. design them. Yeah. Now I, I make a portfolio. Yeah. Okay. You need some kind of portfolio. Okay. Um, you need to kind of, I have interviewed people without looking at their work and got a sense of who they were, but the work's kind of important. So if you're interviewing for a design in tech or elsewhere, people are probably going to ask for that. Okay. Also, personally, being somebody who comes from a more traditional background, having a well-designed resume, I think speaks volumes. Even if you don't have a ton of work in your portfolio, if you're right out of college or you haven't gone to college and you want to like break into this. And when you say well-designed, you don't mean well-formatted. I suppose those are similar. So when I say well-formatted, I'm thinking just like black and white, just traditional You're thinking like very pretty resume. Is that what you're saying? Well, creative. I don't think she wants like colors and stuff. No, think, it doesn't have to be colors. Yeah, I think, okay. I think that's important to clarify. I see some design inter- uh, resumes that look like very not traditional and definitely sticks out from a pile. Right. Something like that. Yeah, right? Totally. More visual uh, or. Yeah, definitely more visual. I think just that there's been some thought put into this thing. This is a thing you're communicating who you are on paper. It doesn't have to be rainbow color unless that's really speaking to you. It can be totally black and white with beautiful spacing, and I could pick it out of a out of a pile and know that it was good. So I think that when it comes to being a designer, you're communicating all the time through everything you send. It's the same with other professions. It's just that we're visual. So, yeah, like if you're in sales and you can write an email, that would be a huge like red flag. Yeah, so yeah. with resumes and designers, I guess just make sure your resume is looks good. And- yeah, and I've spent a lot of time helping my non-design friends design their resumes. To pretty good success. They often get calls back when I help them out. I'm just saying. Mm. But I think what's absolute most important thing for designers when they're in the interview process or on the other side of the interview table is to be able to talk about why you chose what you did. So, or why you think something's good. On the phone screen for CoreOS, the recruiter asked me, well, what's a product out there that if software product that you've used or that you like? And it, was, it took me by surprise, which it shouldn't have. I mean, we talk about that all the time. I'm sure everybody in our field kind of talks about that. But I had just signed up for this new, at the time, new service called Digit. And I got super excited telling him about it because it was one of the most beautiful sign-in processes I've ever seen. And to this day, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And he pulls it up while we're on the phone. And I'm telling him why I think it's good. The branding is beautiful. It speaks just 
like in the most minimal but perfect way. So all of that is to say, as a designer, it's important to think deeply and not just be able to say it's a button. Got is it, it a radio button? Is it a checkbox? And why? Yeah. Got it. So you have the portfolio. You have the beautifully designed resume. We have some qualitative stuff with like how we talk about it. Yeah. What are some of the technical hard questions that, that you guys ask? About, oh, so. During the interview. Being technical or not has been a, probably one of my biggest worries, how technical I am or not. My particular company currently, CoreOS, is very technical. My friends that have been working in tech for a long time are like blown away when I'm talking about pixie booting or servers or distributed computing because it's it's very, it's not your typical stuff. It's not like a web app or whatever, which are also very complicated. It's just very different. And I've lost my train of thought. So essentially, what are some of the hard oh, questions the that you're questions. asking? So when I went to my interview at CoreOS, and the same thing happened when I went in to iSocket was, look, I don't know anything about this world, but tell me a little bit about your problem. And then when I heard enough, and I tried to do as much research as I can before I go in, it's important for anybody in any interview process. But in particular with CoreOS is so technical, it was just like well above my head. But I asked them a bunch of questions and I said, you know, I can promise you that I will work really, really hard to figure out how to solve this problem. And I want to learn it top down, bottom up, inside out. And that's how I'm going to be a good designer for you. I think that that resonated. It wasn't just that, you know, I've heard engineers for a long time say that they like to find a company where they can solve a hard problem or a problem they find interesting. So when it comes to technical or not as a designer, you can talk about JavaScript, you can talk about spinning up containers in my particular world. And I had never done any of that. So they didn't ask me any of those questions directly. And I said, I am not a front-end developer. I am not going to be the technical person that is running Vagrant, although I have now because I need to, to mm-hmm. figure out my products. But they knew that that's not where I was coming from. I was coming from a, a creative problem solving. I'm going to you know, tackle these problems in a different way. So we didn't talk technical stuff at first. Yeah. Got and, it. And I think something that it sounds like you did right was to ask them a question first, like not just pretend like you can make something up on the spot, but you wanted to identify like what is their pain point. Yeah. And uh, it also shows that you're curious. You want to find out mm-hmm. what problems they're solving. And that actually relates to a lot of jobs, not just design, yeah. like even with engineers, if we're interviewing someone for a job and they start asking us about a technology, why do we choose that technology over another technology? It just demonstrates that that person is interested, they're curious, they actually want to build something. Yeah. So I guess to all of you guys out there who are listening, uh, definitely show that enthusiasm because it goes yeah. a long way. And I think thinking, being curious, when I'm interviewing a designer, when I want somebody mm-hmm. on my team, I want to be able to have the most random conversations with them about stuff, about stuff they're curious about, not just about the job that we're doing every day. I particularly really love sci-fi. We just hired a new designer. We talk about comics and sci-fi and type and the type of pens we like to doodle with. And it keeps us creative together, if that makes sense. Yeah. So being curious and caring about whatever problems that you have to work on day to day is really important. But it's like thinking deeply too. Yeah. That's what I look for. Awesome. So yeah, it actually builds on what you just said. What are those things that you look for in a candidate besides mm-hmm. just their design uh, knowledge? So what are, I guess if you can contrast things that are good and things that are just red flags yeah. that will turn you off from a candidate. Yeah. Well, the reason I got the interview in the first place at CoreOS is they had actually interviewed, I don't know, I think they said 20 or so designers and nobody had a point of view on philosophy. Nobody had a point of view on why it's important to be a designer. They just did it. And when they would be asking candidates like, well, why did you make this 
blue instead of green. They're like, well, the project manager told me to. That's a big red flag. You have to think deeply. Like as a designer, I am solving a problem. Can I quickly just make everything green or whatever? Sure. But you need to think deeply about making it right for what your particular goal is. Mm -hmm. Nice. So that was one of the red flags. What about one of the things that when you see it in a candidate, you mentioned curiosity, Mm -hmm. but is there anything else that when you look at a candidate, it stands out to you and you want to just hire them right Right away? away. Curiosity is really important. Being interested in other things. Being interested in other things, again, I think Mm -hmm. I mentioned that earlier, just when you care about, when you have a, a wider breadth with design, it's like I sign on to random I'm currently not playing Pokemon. Not that mm-hmm. I, I want to. You, anyway, you know you want to play Pokemon. I do. I actually do. I just haven't signed on to it yet. But like as a UX designer in particular, it's like I sign into random apps all the time just to check them out. Mm-hmm. Partially because something like Pokemon in particular, that is so widespread now. I need to know what's going on there. Absolutely. Shout out to Team Valor. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's the same with any apps that get big. Like we need to understand what's happening in the world currently. So people that are researching, people that are staying up to date, people that are reading. I read a lot all the time just to to keep going. And Mm -hmm. if I have a candidate on the other side, it's like, oh, I read that book or I know that person or I went to that talk. It shows again, it's it's really just curiosity again, but it's really helpful. And to your point, it's bigger than Pokemon or or whatever it is. It's like the biggest app of all time or something that's relevant that everybody's talking about. So it doesn't have to be a game. It could be a book that's a bestseller. Yeah, And it's also super important because... A lot of the interactions that people expect, a lot of the time, like if you're designing an experience, you need to know what people expect and what are yes. like natural things and what are absolutely going to be surprises. So maybe augmented reality wasn't something that people were used to, but now since everyone is playing Pokemon mm-hmm. Go, then maybe introducing something with augmented reality will be more intuitive to people and they'll absolutely. just think, oh, this is uh, how it works. And yeah. they don't need to go through a learning process anymore. Right. And as designers, we need to know as UX designers in software in particular, we need to know what people are expecting. If you think about something like Google search, we all expect it to work that way. And we've never even thought about it. We partially, like some people probably just grew up with it, but I remember when it was new and it just worked. Mm-hmm. And as a designer, I need to be able to communicate to engineers how it should just work for our users because engineers don't think about it the same way as I do. Some do, obviously. But yeah, we have to know what people are expecting in interactions out there in the world because it's, it's all over the place. And so another thing that is really great to see in candidates is an attention to detail. There's, um, I don't know if you remember, but Instagram changed their, their little heart icon. When you clicked it, there's this mm-hmm. tiny little animation. It's subtle, but gorgeous. And it like, it makes you want to push it. Mm-hmm. And so people, those tiny details make a huge difference in experience. Sure. Yeah. Who are some of the people in the design world that you admire and look up to? Who are some of the people in the design world? So when I first got to... CoreOS, I was a little bit floored to find out one of our funding partners, one of the design, I believe he's the design fellow, is John Maida. Mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of his for a really long time. I've been following his work as a, so doing museum design, I really loved digital art experiences and putting people in an immersive place. And a lot of his work and a lot of his studies have been around that. So I actually was invited to do a little presentation, me and the other designer, about something we were working on at like a meetup for designers through that partner. And I always forget, we said it earlier, KCP. KPCB. Thank you. They're great. They really love them. And they invited us to this thing. And I like walked in and there's John Maida. And I don't get fangirl about things very often, but I was a little bit like, oh my God, he's right there. (laughs) (laughs) 
So he's somebody I, I pretty much, I admire quite a bit. Yeah, he's awesome. That's awesome. So what is um over the next couple of years, what are you looking for? Uh, what are you looking to do, or gr- which areas you're looking to grow? And just tell us about uh, your plans for the future. My plans for the future—that's a really big question. I really, really love what I've been doing at CoreOS. I love the idea that I'm working on products that are below all the other products, if that makes sense. So working in infrastructure, I've been designing a bare metal installer for the last couple of months that we've been testing with with our users. And it's it's really interesting to me to think about systems, to think about servers, and to be in this world. So mm-hmm. I hope to stay within this world in some way or another. And I want to, I was talking about technical, being technical or not earlier. I want to learn a lot more about distributed systems. I'm always looking for books and stuff to read. Somebody just put out a book, a children's book about Kubernetes, which is really interesting. So my near term, I want to just learn a lot more about that stuff. Yeah, definitely. I've been reading a lot of books and going to a lot of talks. And I also design all the conferences my company puts on or I have in the past. So I have to go and be there and then I sit through all the technical talks. You really learn a lot in that way. So that's been really great. I would like to stay. Yeah. So I'd like to get more technical in that way. But also personally, I've been looking for we're growing our team and leadership opportunities. I really love mentoring. I really love working with the team. And I miss when I was in museum design, I was running teams. I was running mm-hmm. several different teams in tandem and I kind of miss that stuff. So I'm hoping to to, have, to branch out and to have some more like leadership opportunities. That's, yeah, that's awesome. That's I could dope. totally see how like just from this conversation alone, how like you would be a great mentor. If I wanted to be in design, I would totally reach <laughs> out to you and we'll get to it later to how to get in touch with you. Okay, cool. But yeah. Uh, so at this point in our podcast, we do the lightning round. and um, Lightning round? Yeah. And this is where uh, the three of us will ask you a series of questions. And we're looking for short answers, but we are looking for hands-on uh, strategies, tactics, and new resources that you've used to get to where you are today. Okay. So Arthur, take it away. Sure. So this question takes us back to the basics. Imagine that you get dropped in a brand new city. You don't know anyone. You're trying to start again and you only have $100. What would you do and how would you spend $100 to get back on your feet? Start again? What do you mean start again? Like you're in a brand new city. Let's say you moved to San Francisco to break into tech. Okay. But you only have $100. You don't know anyone and you're uh, hustling. I'm hustling. I, you know, as much as it's sort of cliche, I think networking is actually how I got into tech in the first place. And I really dislike going to networking events and whatnot. But if I had 100 bucks. I guess I would try to research a company that I, I found pretty exciting and I really wanted to work for. And I would try to find somebody there that I could take out to dinner or something along those lines. <laughs> so let's take it back to when you were in that frustrating moment or some of those frustrating moments yeah. when you were couldn't find a museum job or you couldn't find a tech job mm-hmm. or when you, you went through the whiteboarding exercise, you didn't yeah. get the job. Yeah. Did you listen to any music or a movie? or any interact with any art piece that helped you break through that situation? I know you talked to your friends, but was there yeah. anything else? Man, it's really soul crushing to be on the job search and to not get a lot of response. It's very difficult for your self-esteem. I don't know. I really love modern art. I know at that time I was spending a lot of time doing freelance, which helps me you know, pay my bills. And I was still designing, so it wasn't like I, did, I thought I was the worst human in the world. But I, th- I think I spent a lot of time going to art museums and trying to stay inspired. The SF MoMA closed for many, many years here yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah, it's open again. I know. I've, I went opening weekend. Shout out to SF MoMA. Yeah, it's really great. But there's a, a fantastic um, comic book museum around the corner, for example. And I would go there every once in a while. 
and try to just try to stay inspired so that it continued to propel me forward. Who's your favorite superhero related to comic books? My su- favorite superhero, I guess I want to pick somebody obscure and feel cool, but I don't have that off the top of my head. I really like the comic book saga. Have you heard of that? No. No. Let's go with- I mean, Saga sounds cool though. Saga is great. I'll look it up. Saga is beautiful we'll artwork. We'll put it in the show notes. What? We'll you put, put it in, in the, the show notes? notes? Yeah. The writer of Saga is fantastic. He, yeah. What's the name of the writer? Good question. Yeah, we'll figure it We're out. We're going to have to figure that we'll out. We'll add it to the show notes. Yeah. I'm really bad at names. Yeah, I'm actually the same way. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> what was your name again? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> so the next question that we usually ask is, um, so knowing what you know now, uh, having gone through this amazing career of starting out in design, then switching jobs, switching industries, ending up in tech, uh, what is the one piece of advice that you have for our listeners who are uh, contemplating uh, starting on this journey? Hmm. It's a good question. My favorite advice to give people is to hydrate because I think that is very important. Uh, <laughs> Boom. Yeah, that's Got perfect. I forgot my water bottle. water bottle right very here. sad that I forgot it because I meant to bring it with me today. Within trying to get into tech, I think for designers, I'm going to go with designers. If mm-hmm. That's okay. Yep. It's really important to have at least coded, a, well, done some things in HTML and CSS. Mm-hmm. I got in trouble early on by saying I coded something and it was HTML because it's not Turing complete and all of that. I know that now, but as a designer, you need to understand the limitations of what you're going to be creating. So you don't have to be doing it constantly. I don't often write a lot of HTML, but having learned that early on and then trying to execute things I had designed by writing it myself mm-hmm. was really important. And I will totally be on board to hire a designer who's never written HTML, but I would usually say that they need to at least try HTML and CSS. Yeah, yeah. and I guess it comes down to that curiosity as well. Absolutely. If you're going to be working with engineers for the next 10 years, mm-hmm. explain to them how to like how this mock-up works and what you expect. You could take a one-hour course, two-hour course right. on line like Treehouse or any of the yeah. other resources. And within an hour, you'll build a page yeah. It'll be pretty basic, maybe like a background color, yeah. a few elements on the page, but at least you'll get the essence of it. So mm-hmm. then when someone tells you, hey, actually, I can't reuse this anymore because it's a different element, right. you'll know what that means. Yeah. And I think it's, so I did Treehouse and a bunch of those things. I tried every possible method of learning to code and all of that stuff because, you know, I struggled at first to find a little traction in that book made a real big difference for me. But I also read a lot about like, you know, when HTML5 came out, I read a book about some of the history behind, you know, how do you even continue to change that stuff? So it's not just sitting down and coding it. It's kind of understanding your medium. Mm-hmm. So when I was designing exhibits, as I had to understand wood and buttons and also digital screens, I know a crap load about random hardware and stuff because I had to understand it to design well. And then you're, when you're in tech, your tools are software and talking to computers and screens and breakpoints and all of that. So I think great, great designers can come into the field and not know that stuff immediately, but you kind of got to learn it as you're going, or you're not going to be able to design really, really great things. Yeah. And just to draw another analogy, one of my buddies, he races cars. Yeah. And um, recently um, I was chatting with him and shout out Lance. I was surprised how much he knew about uh, the types of tires on his car, like the types of transmissions, like different little like tweaks. Uh, that could cause him to go a couple seconds faster. Yeah. So even though he races a car and majority of his work is just like driving the vehicle, 
there's a lot of things that you need to know about the medium that you're in. And yeah. just like you said, uh, if you want to be the best, you got to understand everything yeah. that you touch. So, yeah. And I don't think you have to be like the world's best at JavaScript. You kind of just have to understand how it works. I think the most important thing of being a really great designer is just understanding the pieces and parts that come together, having a sense of why HTML works the way that it does, why CSS works the way that it does. But then also that attention to detail. Mm -hmm. I think the best designers like really look for experiences that they find delightful, take that sort of inspiration and imbue it into their work. Totally. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on our podcast. What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on social media or email or any other ones? That's a good question. I am on a lot of the social media things. Mm -hmm. I am on Twitter. Is that a good way? Yeah, that's awesome. What's What's your Twitter Twitter handle? Little Mega Red. I like that. Awesome. We'll include it in the show notes. Yeah, you want to, yeah. What about Instagram? I think I'm the same thing on Instagram. It might just be my name. Instagram is one of my favorites, though. Yeah, I mean, as a designer. Do you do photographer as well? I do a little photography. Okay. Yeah, I did. I took a lot of classes in photography in college. What about Insta Snaps? That's new today. Yeah. So Insta Snaps came out yesterday. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, and, yesterday. I got my and, email today. I must be like way down on the list. I have not used it yet, although we were messing around with it at lunch today. Got it. So got I it. personally haven't used it yet. Game I, I put my first Insta Snap up today. I nice. saw. Yeah, yeah we were at, at the gym. Yeah. Yep. Eat clean, train dirty. Yeah. Um, but people can also email me if they want to get in touch or whatever. And awesome. What's your email address? It's... um. Megan.scofield at coreos.com. Awesome. Right, well, we're we're well. really excited to see future designs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you're going to be a legendary designer in the future. <laughs> well, and thank you're a legendary you. designer kind of now. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, tr- I try to do good work. I think that's the important part. Thanks awesome. for spending time with us. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been great. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.